All right, everybody, welcome back. It's been a little while, but we're here for another episode of Tiger Zone, the podcast for the Princeton class of 2010. I am your host, Jeff Kerchick, uh, Vice President of Class of 2010, and today I'm joined by a particularly special guest because he was a roommate of mine for a year at Princeton. He's a close friend, although I haven't, we haven't caught up in a while, so this is a, a great opportunity for us to chat. Um, he has done a lot of interesting things in his career, but uh, right now he's on the go-to-market team for Chromebook at Google, so in the, in the tech world in Silicon Valley. Uh, it is my pleasure to welcome Jeff Zhao. Jeff, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, Jeff. Uh, good to see you, man. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been, it's been quite a few years, um, and I've always enjoyed uh, being your friend because you've had a variety of different interests. Uh, you were, you know, I remember you were a very popular guy in college. You were a <laughs> guy, you were also a DJ, you know, you did all sorts of different things. So it's not a surprise to me that you've been like all over the world doing all sorts of interesting and, and fun things in your career. So let's start out just by talking about like, first, I get, like, before we even get into it, let's just like, who are you? Like, tell us a bit where you're from. Uh, what life was like growing up for you uh, before Princeton? Like what got you to Princeton and all, and all that good stuff? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I, I, uh, I was born in China, um, came to the States uh, when I was three years old, um, lived in South Carolina for a couple years. So I have a, a, a random but deep affinity for cheesy grits. Um, but uh, spent most of my childhood actually in New Jersey um, in West Windsor. So I am unfortunately guilty uh, of being a townie. Um, and so I, I didn't fall far from the tree, obviously, uh, attending Princeton, um, but went to uh, Lawrenceville uh, just down the street. And, uh, and yeah, and ended up at Princeton University. Um, really kind of two things drew me to the school. Number one, uh, obviously great academics, um, you know, kind of world-class professors. Um, but the second thing was actually our, uh, our, our D1 volleyball team, which I, I have to give, uh, give a quick shout out to. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're one of two Ivy League schools um, with a Division I men's volleyball program. And uh, I was a walk-on um, from my sophomore year and um, our other roommate from, from our Jeff room, uh, Jeff McCown, was, is a good friend and, and was a teammate. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the, the rundown. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we did have, well, maybe we'll, maybe we'll save that for like a post episode special, like bonus content to talk about three Jeffs living in a dorm room. But for the sake of our audience, I'll, I'll move on to post post Princeton life. So talk to us a little bit about um, what you did after school. I think you went into consulting. Yeah, so my first um, real job was in consulting. So I moved out to Denver um, for a project, um, worked alongside actually quite a few Princeton alums um, for that company. Uh, it was called Promontory Financial Group, um, kind of boutique firm out of D.C., uh, specializing in uh, regulatory uh, consulting um, in the financial services sector. Um, and so that, that job actually kind of was the start of it all and 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 took and kind of set me on this path of, of going around the world. Um, I was able to work on a project um, in Rome, Italy for about seven months. Uh, and then I got shipped to Beijing um, where I was I was working out there for about a year. Um, and it was it was during that time in China, um, I, I realized, you know, I guess as a Chinese American, 
growing up in the U.S., um, it never really occurred to me to, to to move back to China and and spend time there. Um, I think the the perception, especially as portrayed um, in in Western media, um, you know, for better or for worse, is that you know China at the time, you know, 2014, um, heavily polluted, um, not not a great place to live, you know. Um, kind of corruption index is kind of high, so on and so forth. Um, but when I arrived, I, I, I kind of saw a different side of it. I mean, certainly the pollution was terrible. So, uh, um, you know, I had trouble breathing kind of my first few months there for sure. Um, and was going around um, wearing a mask and all that. But um, there, there, it was kind of a, an interesting period to be in China, actually. It was right around the mobile phone boom. Um, along with the kind of uh, app ecosystem boom that came with it. And basically, you know, every other week you'd have an app company that um, was reaching 100 million users, you know, after coming online um, within a few few weeks or a few months, you know. And so that kind of pace of development, um, the energy uh, of, the, of, of Beijing and, and, and really China in general um, was, was something I'd say like really uh, a once in a lifetime experience, right? Um, and uh, and so yeah, I, I decided to stay there, joined a startup um, that was working on uh, a kind of hybrid mobile uh, PC uh, operating system related stuff, and uh, and we ended up getting kind of um, scooped up by Google, which was which was really nice, and and so um, that's kind of where I find myself today. Yeah, and so talk to us a little bit about the startup. You know, I've I've been working in startups for for my career, so that's something I'm passionate about. Um, I I've loved seeing that. You know, that's something that you and I have connected on a couple times in uh, some, re I guess not too recent, but somewhat recent years. Um, talk to us a little bit about like what it's like working in a startup. Yeah, for sure. So I think I think there's two things here. Um, the first is working in a startup, and then the second is working for a startup in China, right? Um, and and so I, I'd say the first, um, you know, startup is a roller coaster ride, right? Um, you know, you, you really have to be all in. Um, it's it's a labor of love. Um, you know, it's it's a ton of blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, a lot of late nights. A lot of um, confusion. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's one of the most rewarding, I think, uh, types of companies or, or types of jobs you, you, you could, you could take, um, just cause there's so much uncertainty around it. Um, you, you feel, uh, super empowered, right. In an organization like that, because every move that you make, um, presumably has some impact. And, and I think, um, that's, that's, what's really special about it. Um, working for a startup in China uh, had its own set of challenges. Um, I think the language, um, so I, I do speak Mandarin, but more more conversationally. And so to have to kind of jump into the world of business Chinese, that was a, definitely a challenge. Um, I think there's also some cultural differences there um, that you had to navigate. Um, just in terms of how uh, how people kind of communicate, right, and 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 figuring out you know kind of the nuances uh, of the culture there. Um, can you give on top a, of can you, top, give an ex, uh, can you give an example of that? Sorry to interrupt you. I was curious. No, no, yeah. Um, I, I think 
I think there's, you know, a lot of things. It's like you're sitting, you know, at a at a dinner table trying to close a deal, right? And, um, and and just being able to read into kind of some of the subtleties, because um, because folks won't, you know, I think out of out of politeness won't directly kind of say yes or no to that deal, right? But and so you kind of have to uh, read into the signals. Um, there's a lot of drinking involved as well, right? And so um, oftentimes, you know that that deal doesn't happen unless you, you kind of just drink with with your counterpart there until both of you are like face down <laughs> you know on the table um and so uh a lot of that i mean the internal politics also right um you know just 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 kind of being being super attentive to, to what's happening around you you know you kind of have to have your spidey senses up um just to just to overcome that like that initial kind of language barrier, but then also that uh, more hidden kind of cultural barrier too. Um, but uh, but you know it, it was it was really uh, an experience of a lifetime um, working. You know worked 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 a, a ton of hours, right? And and you, you know you you end up kind of living and breathing this startup, um, and and you treat it like you know it's your baby, and um, yeah, uh, a lot at stake, and and so it's it's super exciting. Yeah, and. You know, obviously, you know, getting acquired is everyone's dream working in a startup. And in your case, you know, you now work at Google, which is a dream for a lot of folks, too. I mean, it's not easy to go work at Google or Apple or any of the major tech companies out in Silicon Valley. But there's got to be, you know, you talk about the dichotomy between um, Western culture and, you know, uh, you know, Chinese culture as it pertains to like startup life and sales. Um, talk a little bit about the dichotomy of your life, you know, between working in a startup and then being scooped up by Google and, you know, now you're working at one of the largest tech companies on the planet. What was that like for you? Um, how did you deal with all of that change? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it, so, so the first thing that was that, that, that's very apparent is the, the scale, uh, at which Google operates, right? Um, you go from dealing with uh, tens of thousands of users, you know, if you're lucky at a startup, um, to, to all, all of a sudden dealing with millions of users, if not billions. Um, and so that that was the biggest thing. And, and that's that's there's a different set of require uh, like responsibility that comes with that. And I, I, I'd say that that was probably the, the most kind of dramatic thing. Um, the other aspect is. Um, Quite, I guess, interestingly enough, I, I had a tougher time transitioning back to the U.S. And this was something that I didn't really expect. Um, I think when you're in China, especially as an expat, um, there is this uh, there's this kind of unique feeling that you have or that you get when you're there, um, in the sense that you you are kind of special, right? You're you're not from um, you know you're not you're not you know, you're born and raised locally. Um, there's a really tight knit expat community of people from all around the world. And so, you know, I've met folks from Colombia, from uh, the Middle East, from uh, Germany, you know, Italy, you know, all over. And so um, once you come back to the US, it, you kind of lose that a little bit. Um, and, uh, and there's there's that aspect of it where I, I, I think what, as soon as I came back to Silicon Valley, like when I was meeting new people, um, 
I oftentimes got kind of typecast, right? As, oh, he's an uh, Asian dude who works in Silicon Valley, so he must be like either an engineer or, you know, a tech bro or something like that, right? And um, and and I felt like that that was a very interesting, like it was very kind of jarring actually at first, right? Because it's, it's like I, I just spent, you know, four years like not even being here and coming back, I, I it was a really um, kind of crazy experience to, to all of a sudden, you know, feel like I have this role to play or, or this 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 um, kind of kind of uh, um, the, these expectations, I guess, that people had for me. Um, and then the, the second aspect is this kind of what I what I call like the Rip Van Winkle effect, right? And and it's kind of like I, I, I pieced out for four years and then all of a sudden I came back and you know you've got uh, friends who are now engaged or married or with kids, you know, uh, life is kind of different. I missed out on a bunch of like this whole Snapchat thing. I, I totally missed out on that in China. Um, and so these, these, you know, small nuances, like just coming back and getting caught up on, on stuff. Um, I still remember like being at a party, met some cool people and, you know, in China, like when you meet new people, it's like, oh, let's just add WeChat, right? Like scan a QR code uh, and then you that, that's your basis of communication. And I remember being back here. I'm like, like, crap, do I do I like add their number? Do I do I add an Instagram? Do I follow their Twitter? feed? Like, what, what do I do exactly? Right. Um, and so that, that was also quite, quite funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think going back to the your, your, your main question, which is the difference between kind of big, big big tech life versus um, startup life. Um, what's interesting also is, is my three co-founders um, were all ex-Googlers, actually. And so um, they brought a lot of that Google culture um, to the startup. And, and so I think in some ways there was an easier transition um, specifically into Google. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that the biggest thing is 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 just the scale and the size of the, of the company. and, and all the different um, aspects of tech uh, and people's lives, right? Their pro like our products touch, um, and that's that's always just been super incredible and, and, and mind blowing for me. Do you watch the show Silicon Valley? Have you seen it? I've I've watched it probably like ten times, like from beginning to end. Yeah, I that that show captures uh, both startup life and uh, big tech life pretty pretty accurately. I would say. What do you think? Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, do you think that it's accurate? Because I, I think, you know, startup I worked at had everything that happened in that show happened to my company that I yeah. worked for, it felt like. Um, Definitely. What, what, what's your favorite part? Well, I guess we shouldn't spoil it for people. But, yeah. you know, but what is like life like in Silicon Valley? I guess let's put it. Let me let me let me put it a different way. I think people have this perception of what it is and they think that it's, you know, so, so a little bit of what you described. But like, do you think that the kind of the stereotypes about it are accurate or what are, what are the things that maybe, maybe people wouldn't expect to hear about what life is like being in tech or in Silicon Valley and, you know, startup world and things like that? Yeah, for sure. Um, huh. Interesting. I, I mean, I, I equate. So I think the allure that Silicon Valley has um, is very similar to like the allure of Princeton University, right? Um there's some really special people here, just like at Princeton. Uh, and then there's some really normal people that uh, that you, you have here, just like at Princeton. And I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's really what you make of the opportunity. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what like, I guess, finding your own path um, 
in, in that location. I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity here. Um, um, you know, just like, just like at Princeton. Um, and so I think in that way, like, you know, having gone to undergrad, you know, at, at Princeton, it, it, it prepared me quite well for, for Silicon Valley, it, you know, in, in that, in that, in that way. Um, but in, yeah, I don't know in terms of what, uh, yeah, like it's, it's kind of just like normal suburbia, really, um, you know, a lot of corporate campuses around with, you know, your Facebooks, your Googles, your Amazons, Apples, um, a lot of overvalued property, um, really expensive avocado toast and coffee. <laughs> um, there are robots um, that you do see on the streets now, which is kind of weird, um, that are delivering food and stuff. That's probably like the most kind of that's for real gets right. Uh, that's like serious. Sorry, you're on mute. I think. Oh no! So that is that serious? Like there's robots delivering food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like wheeled robots delivering food. Um, it started out in Mountain View as a pilot program for uh, the Mountain View Public Library. So they were delivering books during the pandemic using these Holy robots. Cow. And then they they eventually expanded it to some food delivery now. Yeah. Man, um, we're just automating everything away. It's not good. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Andrew Yang, man, he he had some he had some good things to say. Um, uh, <laughs> All right. Well, moving on, like, let's just talk a little bit about like what you're up to now. So you get acquired by Google and now you're on the go-to-market team for Chromebook. A lot of people don't yeah. even know what either of those two things mean, uh, yeah. what go-to-market means or what's Chromebook. So tell us a little bit. Sure. I know what it means because I, you know, right. I work in sales and I'm at work in tech, but uh, tell folks, yeah. uh, tell, tell folks what that, what that means. What do you, what are you doing every day? Yeah, for sure. So um, starting with the product, uh, the product is Chrome OS, uh, which is the operating system you find in Chromebooks. Um, and uh, Chrome OS is Google's, uh, essentially Google's version of a uh, PC um, kind of productivity oriented operating system. Um, and so uh, what we do is we work with, uh, you know, your OEM manufacturers um, being like Lenovo, HP, Dell, Acer, Asus, um, and uh, we work with them to uh, put our operating system um, into their hardware and then uh, work with them to kind of bring those uh, devices to market, um, specifically through the consumer channel. Uh, and so whenever you see a Chromebook, um, you know, sitting in a Best Buy or Walmart or Target, um, it's my team that's kind of working behind the scenes to help kind of put it there um, and, and kind of bring it to life in the market. Awesome. And so, and yeah, so you're basically responsible for the strategy, bringing it to market, which means that you have some background in sales and, you know, you've built up some sales acumen and you and I have had some conversations around that. What are, what is like the most important skill that you've learned around sales? Cause I think a lot of people have a misconception about what it really is and like what makes somebody successful. I think that they think it's just like, if you're, you know, witty or funny or whatever that like you can be good at selling stuff. And I, I mean, that's true to some extent, but the more, the more that you're in it, the more interactions you have, it's a lot deeper than that. What, uh, what, what is it to you, Jeff, that you think is the most important aspect? Um, you know, there's definitely no silver bullet. Um, but I, I think the one thing that, that I, I found works time and time and again is, is building trust, right. Um, with, with your counterpart. Right. And, 
um, you know, trying to kind of create those win-win scenarios, right, where um, you, you both are able to walk away from, from, from the table, you know, feeling like you've gained something. I think that that's, that's a kind of principle, core principle that I try to live by, you know, whether it's dealing with internal folks, intra Google or, or external people. Right. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think that's probably the, the, the one thing that I found, you know, um, whether you're, you know, I, I've sat across, um, distributors, um, in Dubai and, you know, you're, you have to establish that baseline level of trust, right? That like, hey, I, I'm, I'm here to help you and help your business and, and, and vice versa. Um, and yeah, like, I guess that's a bit idealistic, but um, I mean, that's kind of always the, the baseline or foundation I tried to lay. Awesome. I just have a couple more, couple more questions. One's a follow-up to that. Like, what are some ways that you try to build trust with people? Like, are there any things specific that you know, you and you know, you what, what I find interesting about you is like you've been all over the world. You know, you didn't really talk about it when you were talking about your consulting stuff, but like, you know, you were in you know different parts of the United States, you were in Beijing, you were in Rome. Um, obviously, you just mentioned you know, Dubai. So, you know, to build trust, it you know, for you, it seems like it's a universal language for you, um, uh, which I which I think is pretty fascinating. Um, what are ways that you would you know? Sorry to put you on the spot with the hard questions here, but like, how do you build trust? Yeah, I mean, it's it. it I think the way I look at it is, look, we, we're all human beings at the end of the day, and um, irres irrespective of where we come from, um, you know, we all have mouths to feed, um, you know, a roof to put over our head. Um, in, in most cases, we all have a boss that we report to, right? And so. Um, you know, just humanizing that relationship, I think, to start with is, is usually kind of a good, a good place, right? Um, you know, figuring out kind of what their family situation is, um, you know, figuring out really kind of what their MO is at this job, right? Like, are they just trying to, you know, make, you know, nine to five paycheck, uh, call it a day, or they, they're, they're trying to career climb, you know, they really believe in what they're doing. Um, so there's all these personas, I think, that exist out there. And I think trying to kind of match a strategy to that persona um, really helps set that that foundational layer of trust, right? Because then, you know, you're now kind of speaking the same language, uh, not, not like linguistically, I mean, linguistically, maybe yes, maybe no, um, maybe you need a translator, right? But um, at least like you're kind of aligned in terms of your your objectives, right? And, and I think that's always like a, a really critical kind of starting point. Um, in any in any relationship and, and just kind of doing that 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 intel right and 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 understanding kind of your audience and who you're talking to exactly I think is super critical. Awesome. Last question, Jeff, and then we'll let you get back to your busy life. Um, you know, I remember you as guy jack of all trades. You know, beach volleyball, DJing. You know, late nights at Terrace. Um, I know, I know that the future holds, uh, something for you be, you know, obviously you've had an awesome career and, you know, you're, you're, you're down an interesting path. What, what are, like, what are your goals? Like, what do you, what does the future hold for you, uh, after this? Oh man. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think that that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, right now I'm really excited about um what i'm working on I, I you know very recently 
um, I've kicked off this kind of project that does um, that, that that does a very kind of comprehensive look um, at the space that we're in. Um, we're understanding the competitive landscape a lot better, and so we're implementing some new programs to try to transform um, just the way we're engaging with the ecosystem. And I think uh, to kind of see some of those things through in the short term um, is is definitely kind of uh, something I'm super excited about. Um, yeah, outside of that, I mean, I, I think um, at some point, you know, I, I, I probably would like to jump back into the startup um, world again. Uh, I, I think just the, the, uh, the energy and the rush you get from that is, is, uh, is unlike anything else. And, and so um, also kind of open to, you know, shopping around for uh, some new opportunities as well, right? Um, you know, kind of looking at the macro landscape, obviously like FinTech right now and health tech are, are pretty excitingly in hot spaces. Um, and so, yeah, just trying to kind of keep keep learning, right? Keep keep on that journey and then kind of whatever comes comes through, comes through. Um, in another lifetime, uh, I, I would I would love to be a general manager of a Formula One team, but you know, <laughs> that's more wishful hey, thinking than anything else. <laughs> you got you got plenty of time to make that happen. That's right. That's and maybe right. <laughs> maybe you and I can launch a business together if you want to make a startup. So we'll stay in touch. Um, let's yeah, let's definitely connect on that. <laughs> yeah, it could be fun. Um, yeah. Awesome, Jeff. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, it was it was awesome to have you as a guest. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Jeff, for uh, for reaching out, and uh, you know, hope everyone's doing well uh, during during these uh, these interesting times. Um, and uh, yeah, and reach out. Uh, you know, if you need a Chromebook recommendation, <laughs> <laughs> gotta get that. To... <laughs> gotta get that plug in. How do how do people reach you That's if a... they need to get that Chromebook? That's right. Uh, uh, it's it, it, Instagram's good. Uh, the real Jeff Zell, uh, um, or uh, or just look me up on LinkedIn and shoot me a message. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, hope to see you next year at reunions. Everybody who listened, thank you for tuning in. We will see you next time on Tiger Zone. <laughs>